This episode of the Skipped Ideas podcast, we're joined by Harry Jamison, CEO of Pillar Wellbeing, as we explore the evolution of well-being and hospitality and ask ourselves, is well-being the ultimate frontier of luxury? Join us as we explore Harry's background and his profound insights into the world of well-being and examine the entire industry's transformative journey towards embracing well-being as an important and integral aspect of the guest experience. The benefits of well-being and hospitality are immense, and we'll uncover them all in this episode. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Skift Ideas podcast, and thanks for tuning in. I'm delighted to be joined by an awesome guest today, Harry Jamison, CEO of Pillar Wellbeing. Harry has over 18 years' experience in the fitness and hospitality industries, having optimized performance and well-being for CEOs, celebrities, and politicians alike. He's developed one-on-one fitness training for senior leaders at Quintessentially, Chelsea Football Club, and Soho House Group, and created well-being retreats and advised on wellness programming and concept development in some of the world's most luxurious hotels and resorts. He's also a wellness editor at The Times with a monthly column and a global brand ambassador for Lululemon and Technogym. And I have a great history with Harry because he used to write an amazing column for a British magazine and I was just a fan. I would pick up this this magazine, and I and I thought it was some of the most astute writing on on fitness and well being. And I actively sought him out, and I had the good pleasure of uh, of working out with him in a few different places in London whenever I'd be in town. So it's been awesome to watch, you know, Harry's ascent with um, building pillar, and we'll get into the entire background. So Harry, I'm super happy to have you on. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Would love to know a little a little bit about your journey, you know, like give us give us some insight and history into your background and um and why this space is really important to you. Um well listen, first of all, thanks for the intro and second of all, yeah, you know, we've known each other, you know, well well over a decade when I when I used to do the Esquire fitness uh, column and I also had the gym at the Langham Hotel in London and you know, that was probably my first stepping stone into what the integration of fitness and well-being at, at a higher level could be in the hospitality space but if i rewind um you know back to the start of my career i did a i did a sports science and psychology degree in 2000 at liverpool university and i think like lots of trainers and people in my space you know i have to be a self-confessed failed athlete you know if i could have been a professional athlete i definitely would have um and my passion had always been in sports you know loved and played every single sport under the sun i then headed back to london to try and sort of apply my trade in as high a level as i possibly could if i was going to be a personal trainer i wanted to be an outstanding one and worked in a studio on harley street and for those who don't know harley street is the is the medical center of europe really it's you know very very high end in its approach sometimes reactive treating disease and sometimes preventative in terms of scanning for disease. And what we had uh, an opportunity to do, my, my first big client was the co-founder of a concierge business called Quintessentially. So we had access to you know, high net worth, interesting entrepreneurial C-suite level individuals who at the time only came to me because they wanted to lose weight. But because of all my traction and interaction with the medical community I was asking them questions that they hadn't really heard before like how do you, how well do you sleep 
and you know let's take a look at your digestive health and let's test your heart rate variability to look at your stress responses to the environment now we see that you know data being used in whoop and aura ring and sleep trackings become quite normal and i guess it's the wellness industry now and in 2000 it didn't really exist so my view is very much put an athlete protocol athlete approach into an everyday person by everyday person i mean already high performer ceo leader entrepreneur and treat them like an athlete and we have a huge opportunity to impact their daily performance but even more so their longevity and and that's then spilled into my approach to coaching which was optimized today and future proof tomorrow which is a phrase that we we use within pillar um and after working with those people like you said you know a few prime ministers and uh, well a prime minister and some ceos and a you know high level sports club one of the biggest in the world i started to take gym spaces in five star hotels because they were hugely underutilized and had a bit of a background in um in the health retreats and I'd run ones with Roccaforte, Four Seasons, One and Only, you know, it was a very transient type product. And I thought actually our products and services should be in hotels full time. And yeah, if we fast forward a little bit more, we, we now have Pillar Wellbeing. Yeah, what's what's really exciting to me, Harry, is, you know, my thesis is a lot of these very high end, you know, CEOs, celebrities, people with like full on lives, they're they're looking at fitness and wellness is like an unfair advantage, right? And they're using data Mm. in order to be better, um, whether it's the aura ring, whether it's the whoop and, and it's no longer, you know, hospitality in many ways is no longer just like excess and gluttony, you know, and like endless shrimp cocktails, hospitality needs to be enabling these people to sort of perform at a higher level. And this is kind of what we're talking about with with our you know as we as we think about our megatrends for next year is that the role of you know bleeding edge interesting wellness and top tier hospitality coming together right and and it's 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 starting it's interesting because it seems like it was just a small percentage of people that were living this way but now when I'm at a you know five star resort I see more Garmin sports watches and on trainers and athletic leisure, then you see the traditional codes of luxury, right? You see these people that are kind of trying to dial in everything to get, to get more performance, better recovery, more sleep. So it's just a really interesting um, dynamic. It's, it's a huge trend. It's a global trend that is, you know, impacting all ends of the market, you know, luxury, ultra luxury, mid scale, you know, we've got, we're seeing kind of the more accessible end of the market, really looking at actually how do you strip everything out of a room and optimize it for sleep? You know, I, I stood up at a, a, a conference, hospitality conference um, in Cannes six years ago to a group of hoteliers. And I said, none of you have, 250 hoteliers, none of you have ever designed a room to get a good night's sleep, which is crazy because it's a bedroom. What was the value of sleep? now as you say with with the rise of wearables these things are trackable there's a real tangible metric that we can decide whether our products are effective or not so i i used to have uh, twitter as one of my corporate clients and i would go to new york to their global offsite every year and i would speak to the c-suite and the the regional uh, leadership teams would be 20 people in the room 
um, outside of the then CEO, Jack Dorsey, every single other senior person in the room, in that business was in that room. And their biggest pain point was recovery from jet lag. And I think that's a huge pain point for the global luxury traveler altogether. And uh, my, my, my data from Booper was that one hour, 24 hours without sleep leaves the body with the same reaction times as somebody two and a half times the legal drink drive limit for alcohol. So would you get off a red-eye flight and go to a, a business meeting straight off the bat and try and knock it out of the park? People do that all the time. Would you, just before you entered the room to one of the most important meetings to close a big deal, drink two and a half pints of beer really, really quickly and then go in and expect to do well? Obviously, you wouldn't. So the importance of sleep when it comes to performing at a high level is, is huge. And actually, that's I still feel where the hotel industry specifically has missed a trick. But when we look at uh, wellness as a badge of honour, I think, you know, the argument is that wellness is the new luxury. It is, it is when we see the highest ADRs, when we see the most expensive branded real estate, Aman knock it out the park. And it's a really beautifully designed concept with well-being at the core of everything it's the most luxurious and six senses led the way with this barefoot luxury concept but actually when i think about true modern luxury i think i think wellness beyond what 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 grand cru champagne they have or how much marble there is or how much gold there is that's almost for me outdated luxury and um and wellness is leading the trend in a huge way it's a great point. And um, it's one that I've been talking to a lot of people about, you know, I just caught up with Chris Norton at Equinox. And I think what they've done with the rooms and even removing like the little blinking lights and the annoyances, the blackout curtains, really making an incredible room for sleep. Even the air conditioner, like, you know, doesn't make noise in the same way that some other um, HVAC systems do. So it's like, there are these very interesting people that are pushing this forward, which is exciting to me. And I think the other thing that I want to talk to you about is, so there's the excess and the grand crew, and then there's, you know, how, how decadent things are versus, you know, what we're talking about. But there's also the evolution of wellness as it relates to hospitality, because I think a lot of hospitality was really focused on like expensive massages and like the La Prairie or La Mer kind of, you know, super, super luxurious pampering. But your approach to wellness and the way you're thinking about it is not just about like the relaxation side of things. It's much more holistic. So would you kind of explain the the pillars, you know, not to also use the name of your company, <laughs> but, um, of, of how you're thinking about this holistically? Yeah. So the three pillars that, that we abide by within our business are the way the body moves, the way the body recovers and how the body is nourished. And you can break that down into three distinct departments within within a facility. You know, we have movement studio and a gym, which very much looks at physical elements of well-being. Now, that might be rehabilitation from an injury. That might be prehab in the sense that here's how I move my body so I don't get injured. Uh, and then there's the traditional strength and conditioning work. There's weight loss. There's cardiovascular capacity development. We push your VO2 max. We'll build muscle. We'll turn you into, you know, a weekend warrior. Um, that's the movement side. Now, prior to businesses like ours coming to the marketplace, about 80% of gyms in luxury hotels were unmanned. So what they were completely lacking was this personal touch and personal approach that we know the luxury consumer demands in every other 
department of the hotel. You wouldn't walk up to the concierge desk and be happy just to have an iPad. You want a concierge to serve you. You want a sommelier to tell you what wine to have. Why wouldn't you want a highly trained, highly upskilled, well-being professional to teach you how to move your body or what uh, specific steps to go through to improve your golf swing? Those things should all be there. Recovery is a really interesting element. And as you say, the traditional spa was a, it was a very product-led environment. And there's still a huge need for that and a huge demand for that. In our product in, our product in, in London, we have a spa partner, Guerlain, owned by LVMH, you know, beautiful French heritage um, brand that does fantastic beauty treatments and amazing relaxation. Our part comes in at the level that we would consider to be um, more clinical, which is mentally, physically, and emotionally restorative services, physiotherapy, things to do with anti-inflammatory processes, whether that's deep tissue massage or hot cold contrast therapy. We've also got a clinical psychologist and who talks, we, we have talking therapies, we have um, cognitive behavioral therapy, we have nutritional therapists. So we consider our services to be complementary to those, not kind of hostile to those because there's still room for a manicure and a pedicure and a facial. And I think those things will always remain in, in demand. However, we wanted to bring all of those wellness services under one roof. And then the nourishment part is super important to us. The pre-post-workout nutrition has always been quite functional. Even at your friend's beautiful gym, I would still challenge them to up their F&B game on the, on the healthy eating side because I train in Equinox in London. I've been to Equinox in New York. We've got Third Space. We've got um, you know other great luxury gyms that I've spent large parts of my adult life in. I'm never super excited to have lunch there. And I think that that is something that we really wanted to change. We've got a, a global partnership with the two Michelin star chef, Jason Atherton, and he's our culinary director of Pillar Kitchen. And we wanted to redefine how healthy eating is delivered, not just in the hospitality space, but actually how it's delivered into the marketplace. I, You could choose between something healthy or something tasty and actually those two things shouldn't be you know they should be complementary and so if we can deliver great movement services great recovery services which complement existing spa um, provision and great F&B you've now got a wellness club that you don't necessarily have to have to leave you know the goal from a commercial perspective is to increase dwell time and to get people to come to your facility and and move and socialize and do business and nourish their body and recover and get all of their things under one roof without being jack of all trades, but doing each one of them excellent. And, and I, I like the, like what you said there, because number one, you know, the F and B component just seems like such an opportunity um, before, you know, I think unfortunately you just see these like sad smoothie bars at a lot of places. The one that I did appreciate um that you'll be familiar with. I did a couple workouts and played some tennis at in you know the Jumeirah, the the kind of fitness club there on the beach in Dubai. And I thought to lease fitness, I think it's called. Yeah, I can't remember what yeah. it, but um, F and B was was awesome. But I, I mm. like the opportunity space for you on on like super clean proteins and and you know things on the more anti inflammatory side and really the fueling side of the equation because it hasn't really been done. You know it it, it we've neglected um you know a lot of these sides which creates this opportunity space that's very meaningful i wanted to double click with you a little bit on the behavioral 
side of this because I think that, that that's absolutely fascinating because you could be doing all the right things. You could be, you know, in the gym and doing your cardio and doing your mobility, but the behavioral side of, of coaching is also kind of helping you address some hidden things or uh, like undo some habits that might be deeply rooted from, you know, by the, from the time you were eight. So I, I would love to hear your, your thoughts on the role of sort of the behavioral coaching with what you're doing. I mean, my, my original degree was, it, it was in sports science. I did a combined honors with, with psychology. So I had a, you know, wasn't sports psychology specifically, although that was a component, but it was the psychology of human behavior, you know, from Freudian psychology all the way through to sort of cognitive behavioral therapy, thinking about, you know, a whole plethora of different things. And actually, when you look at somebody who is going to perform at a high level, emotional intelligence and, and, and coaching around the emotional side of performance, primarily in the management of stress, but also in the management of emotions and interpersonal relationships is huge. And I think there's a real space at the moment, you know, there's a real zeitgeist moment for this personal optimization piece. And if you look at the big trending podcasts of the, of the world, the diaries of a CEO, the modern wisdoms, the, 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 the bigger players in the game, these entrepreneurial stories are you know, men and women who've gone through real hardship actually talking about past trauma and letting those things go and not letting them hold them, not letting it hold them back. I think if you've got especially men, a man in the room whose life was going fantastically on the surface, and you asked them honestly what was holding them back. Nine times out of 10, it would be something connected to either addiction or non-processing of emotion. And I think that's becoming less taboo. You're in the States where therapy is as normalized as personal training, where Europe, we're European and specifically English, where if you came back, if you went and sat with your friend in the pub and you said, oh, I've just been to see my therapist, they say, oh my God, what's wrong? You know, you would only go as a reactive process because something really bad would happen. You were getting divorced or you were clinically depressed. Actually thinking about using talking therapies as a preventative tool so that those things don't ever take place in the first place is very much you know, our approach at Pillar. And I think when you look at the highest performing people on the planet, mindset plays almost a larger proportion of that than anything. I worked with... Uh, with a former UK prime minister who was definitely not physically an athlete, but had the biggest mental toughness and resilience and coping mechanisms to deal with stress than I've ever seen ever. And I worked with the CEO at Chelsea Football Club and two of the partners at McKinsey. Physically and actually personality-wise, those three people were so, so different. You, you would never put them together in a room. They all had this one common trait, which is an incredible resilience to stress and incredible capacity to deal with and cope with stress and make decisions under pressure. And actually that all comes from, from mindset. So I think we're not just talking about, you know, coaching somebody out of anxiety or depression, but we are giving them coping mechanisms so that said anxiety and depression doesn't necessarily take hold in a high pressure environment. We're also giving them the life tools and skills that they need to process and manage their emotions, not just to get to the top, because getting there for a day is not what our guys are after. They want to get there and stay there for a decade, and that requires a huge amount of resilience. And what I think what's very interesting that you're talking about is there has been an incredible zeitgeist shift with you know the 
Peter Atias, the Hubermans, guys that are actually very much using data and deep understanding of, you know, vetted research and not, you know, fitness talk or some of like the the things that pop up <laughs> du jour. And and as the as these sort of platforms scale alongside, you know, some of the other ones, you know, performance recovery and also the things you're talking about with resilience um, are are becoming more commonplace, you know, in the conversation. And I think um, I've done a lot of work with, you know, guys from the special operations community that are, you know, transitioning into the business world. And it's very interesting to see how a lot of these men and women are, are working on, on these newer forms of, of therapy and, and addressing some like underlying mental things, because uh, in the past, those cultures were very, you know, talking about anything like that is, is a weakness, right? But now it's much more evolved in terms of the thinking. And there's been a sea change. And I think it's very meaningful what you said with your with your former client that was, you know, British Prime Minister is is um you know very stressful job. And the ability to have some tools, whether it's from breath work or mindfulness or even talking to someone to kind of maintain that. Cause otherwise we see what happens when it when that doesn't happen. People kind of implode. People mm-hmm. have terrible um, fitness or health results when they when they haven't built the system to deal with that. I think what people are really starting to understand, and this is a slight tangent, but it's true, is that thoughts and feelings manifest themselves as physical ailments if they are negative and if they are not managed. Stress becomes a stomach ulcer. You know. The poor digestive health through lack of sleep and poor quality of food leads to a suppressed immune system. 90% of the serotonin is produced in your gut, which produces, you know, decides essentially whether you're happy or whether you're not. And so if you combine managing your thoughts and emotions with managing your digestive health and managing your body, you know, these things in, 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 in a butterfly effect all one of them in isolation is not what we're looking at, right? High-level performance from an athlete perspective means you've got to be fast, you've got to be strong, you've got to be supple, you've got to be able to sprint, you've got to be able to catch, you've got to be able to jump. All those things need to be able to sing at once. And actually, high-level performance as an entrepreneur, you need so many different elements of your mind, body, spirit, soul, leadership, community management to all sing together at the same time. And actually, I think what people are really understanding that is in order to get there a mentally physically and emotionally and spiritually more more robust capable and trained person has a way better chance of getting there in the first place and a way better chance of winning um i think that's the first element i think the second element is peter atia who i've been you know listening to for years and years along with Rhonda patrick who i also love his original you know drive for his research was longevity right how do i get this kind of health span piece out there. And I think we're seeing in this kind of high net worth, ultra high net worth demographic of individuals, longevity is now a real key driver of behavioral change. I am successful and my life is good. I'm, I may or may not be, be affluent and probably slightly older. I want the last 30 years of my life to be the best 30 years of my life. And actually what habits and behaviors do I need to put in place? I'm not quite talking about Brian Johnson, who's hit the news and who's like, in my opinion, not even living his life in order to live longer. But there are 
you know, less than 5% of anything from a lifestyle disease perspective that's going to go wrong with us is genetic. 95% of the things that are going to go wrong with you or myself or my mum or my wife are going to be down to how we live. And that's cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, Alzheimer's, um, dementia, the things that are probably going to get us cancers at some point. They're down to, they're, they're, they're essentially in our hands. And so we see this hybrid behavioral pattern, which is I want to wake up every day with the best chance of winning, kicking everybody's ass. And I want to live a long, happy, healthy life. Actually, the behaviors that drive those two outcomes are the same. And so you can, if I'm selling, if I, if I was selling my services to a 55 year old who wanted to live to be 105, I'd be telling him exactly what to do. If I was selling my services to a 30 year old who wanted to be CEO of his company in the next five years, I'd be telling him exactly what to do. I'd be telling those two individuals to do exactly the same thing broadly the outcome that their desired outcome, which would motivate them to adhere to those behaviors would be slightly different, but actually the human body hasn't changed for tens of thousands of years, although our environment is exponentially different. Um, but we, we're almost stripping it, stripping it back to basics. People are jumping into ice baths and meditating, manage their central nervous system. I would argue Buddhist monks have been meditating for far longer than we've had headspace on our, on our iPhone. There's a lot of um, the reversion to kind of some classic things, right? You know, breathing is in vogue again, but it's existed forever. You know, um, the contrast therapy, you know, the Finns and indigenous people in many places have, have figured that out in uh, for, a, for a long time. But, but it, 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 does, it doesn't mean, you know, these things are, are super valid, but it is interesting to see how they, they pop into the zeitgeist in a, in a meaningful way. One of the things I also wanted to talk about, Harry, is um, with with a lot of this audience, they're doing a lot of long haul. They're always on a plane, which is an inherently unhealthy environment. So it's almost as if they have to think about themselves as endurance athletes. What are you seeing from the hospitality space, you know, in terms of ways to address this? I mean... Qantas has done some interesting things with their lounges and light therapy and, and food, you know, Cathay is doing kind of plant-based, easier to digest meals, but what are you seeing in like the broader travel space that you find to be particularly progressive or interesting as it relates to movement around the world, um, you know, airlines, et cetera? I think that's a really interesting point. I think, you know, there's probably two, there's three key drivers that are going to, kind of offset the negative impacts of long-haul travel. One is reduction of inflammation, two is rehydration, and three is resetting circadian rhythm. And I think those three things are going to decide whether you feel a bit crappy when you get off a flight or within five or six hours of getting off a flight or whether you feel good. Um, I think, you know, the, 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 the end of the market that cares about it the most is the, is the, first and business travel end you know how do i make my already comfortable journey infinitely more comfortable uh, because ultimately those are the people who are going to pay for it we see interesting kind of welcome lounge concepts we actually did one in and we have a we have a gym opening uh, a health club opening at Fairmont doha a property that i know that you know work with an, a, an amazing um 
consultant over there who's got a uh, recovery lounge concept where she integrates her services with Hyperice and um, Hyperice and Normatec, and they do anti uh, they do compression leggings when you get off. Where whilst you're doing your check in, you can lie down. You can put your compression leggings on, a little bit like the kind of compression socks that we used to wear. We used to see people wearing to get, you know, offset the chances of deep vein thrombosis. We're now looking at, you know, boosting circulation. We're now looking at reducing inflammation uh, through using tech and, and, and kind of, you know, manual tech. Um, Headspace became popular because he managed to get it on all Virgin Atlantic flights. And originally it was used to calm anxiety for flying. Then they put sleep stories on there. Then they started you being, you know, quite smart about how people would consume uh, different types of media that may or may not impact their ability to fall into a deep and restful sleep. Um, I think the answer is no one's really doing enough. And I think it's a huge space. I think actually once you're off the flight, the real opportunity sits with the property that you're going to or the space that you're going to, or even in transit from airport to, to property where you can intervene with some form of F and B intervention, normally a rehydration type product with electrolytes in it and some form of trying to get your circadian rhythm set to the time of destination as early as you possibly can. So there are kind of hints and tips that you would give a long haul traveler that none of us abide by, right? No booze, no caffeine on the flight, try not to eat. The second you get on the flight, set your watch to time of destination and then act like you would if you were in that time. Um, but I, I I still see huge opportunities there's, for that. There's a lot of open space there, you know, um, similar to the spaces that, that you're seeing on the ground with hotels. Um, and a lot of it is also needs to be on the traveler, right? A lot of this isn't always going to be solved by the market, you know? pick a 787 because the air pressure humidity is better. You know, when you're transferring in Doha, go for a swim, you know, at the mm. little <laughs> hotel there, pay $20 or whatever, go have a swim yeah. or go have a little jog, as opposed to stuffing your face with butter chicken and lounge or whatever. <laughs> you know, um, there's a lot of like little things that are, that are also just like self-discipline. But I also, I, I do think that the sea change will come to airlines where they go from, decadence you know even like the names of all these lounges are always like you know like the admiral's club or the you know mm. it's like playing to these old notions of that it was only males being business travelers and it was all about decadence and steak and you know now it's you have you're traveling you're doing long haul back and forth somewhere for only a couple of days to do a deal or whatever like we need we're, our role is to enable you in that mission as opposed to just like get you drunk and make you fall asleep, you know? So I, I, I love that point. I, I think it's to, quite I, interesting I, just to quickly, sorry to jump in, but to differentiate actually between that the high performance business traveler and that leisure traveler. I think that that, that business traveler, you know, you know, they're, they're the gold club holder. They, they're all over the world all of the time. You know, I, I, I mentioned him before, but you know, one of the partners in McKinsey, I've never seen a man travel like he traveled ever. You know, the idea that you can drink for free in the lounge, right? That's long lost on him. You know, you get two kinds of people, people who get into the lounge and see free drinks and go, oh my God, this is like, this is like Mecca. And the guy who literally jumps on blackout blind, blackout um, eye mask, earplugs in, let, let me sleep. And I think, more can be done to cater for the person 
really has to get up the second they get off that plane and go and perform at a high level. I think that that is um, is where where the true opportunity lies. And for far too long, they've catered for, would you like a champagne, sir? Would you like another one? Would you like another one? I think, because uh, uh, I think actually now, if we think commercially, the willingness to spend on that uh, is, is is removed. It's it, 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 it's gone. Of course, I would spend on that. You know, what's interesting, Harry, is is when you look at the numbers coming out of Diageo, when you look at numbers coming out of some of the bigger drinks companies, they're seeing this sort of systemic decline coming off of the days of COVID where everyone's buying the very nice gins to make it cocktails at home. But I, I remember something you said to me probably like seven years ago, which is with wellness, some of the, some of like the healthy side of things can also be very profitable business for some of these places, right? Like it's not always, you don't always have to make your margin with the G and T in some things, you know, sometimes other um, health and wellness things also, you know, can be a premium offering that to do well. I had this really, I agree completely, you know, that Diageo's big step into that space is when they bought Seedlip famously, right? And they bought this sort of non-alcoholic spirit. The rise of low and no alcohol brands, you know, not just because they want to target potentially, you know, places in the Middle East where culturally alcohol is not as widely used, but also as the generations below you and I, you know, in, in our, I'm in my my early 40s. You know, the two generations below me just consume way less than I did when I was younger and, and that many of us did on the way through. And this kind of mindful drinking culture with half price, half strength spirits and, and lucky saint 0.5% beer and people like this are doing huge, huge business. But I think um, I think something interesting in on I sat with a with a guy at one of the global conferences for Fairmont. I, I presented um, some of the future trends, uh, some of the stuff that we're talking about. But also, I'm sure we might come on to the you know the rise in the membership markets of hotels, etc. And one of the guys I was sitting with was was uh, was a, was a data analyst, and actually they're looking at splitting the different demographics of traveller. And they know that a wellness traveler spends on average about 40% more than a business or a leisure traveler. But also that wellness traveler, this is a bit kitsch, but the more they spend in the spa, actually the more they spend in the bar. Somebody who's willing to invest heavily in their health also likes to invest in the other finer things in life. So whilst they might not drink in the huge volume that you would previously have seen, they'll definitely pick lower down the bottle, lower down the list for the bottle of wine. You know, they'll go for the really nice bottle of Bordeaux 500 bucks rather than three ones at 100 and so you see this kind of more discerning individual who's very health conscious who will invest in a personal training session where they're two 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 spa treatments he will book you know the suite that's got the peloton bike in it or they might elevate their proposition or put the slightly more luxurious transfer they will spend and that is the consumer that the luxury market is trying to attract and one of the one of the key anchors for our business is providing products and services where that individual is self-selecting that environment because they know when they're there, their health is taken care of, and they will book the two-star restaurant and they will buy an amazing one or two or three bottles of amazing wine. And they drink less, but they drink better and they and they care more. And that is the person who, 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 who we're looking at and talking about. And I wanted to use this, this is a perfect segue, you know, 
a lot of the a lot of your vision and a lot of what you've seen has kind of culminated with an incredible opening in London, which is the uh, raffles at the old war office, which is probably like the opening of the year, if not, you know, of the past five years in terms of sheer ambition. And I wanted you to take, you know, five minutes or so and just kind of give us what that's doing and why it's different than the other kind of wellness offerings in London. Yeah. So um, Raffles London at the OWO is an, an incredible project. You know, the OWO, O-W-O stands for Old War Office. And so this building has a huge amount of history. It was Winston Churchill's office during the war. It's at the end of, of Downing Street, obviously famous for being the home of the Prime Minister, opposite Horse Guards Parade. You look out the front door, you have um, Buckingham Palace. You look out the back door, you've got the Houses of Parliament, you've got Big Ben. It's as iconically London as any other space. Ian Fleming, who wrote James Bond, once worked in there, and so it's got a lot of Bond heritage and um, the, the, the the spies in, in World War II used to meet in this room and they got this very cool little spy bar. So it's got all of these little quintessentially British and English intricacies. And then they've brought this incredible heritage brand in, in raffles, you know, iconically of Singapore. But as we know, you know, the global, you know, f- real feather in the cap for the Accor group, first time to London. Um, the OWO is a destination. It's got multiple beautiful F&B outlets that sit outside of the Raffles Hotel, Paper Moon, Cafe La Perouse, you know, a beautiful um, Japanese restaurant by Endo coming on the roof. And then this wellness offering and this beautiful subterranean kind of oasis with two key wellness partners, Pillar Wellbeing being my health club business responsible for driving movement recovery and nutritional services and being the real key anchor to creating a a wellness membership of the whole property, but also Golan, uh, their first uh, spa uh, offering in the UK, first spa offering in the UK, uh, coming out of, of traditionally from Paris, and so all of the things that you've described, this you know very decadent, very luxurious, very historically credible, beautiful uh, brand in Golan, but actually us coming in and saying. All of the things that I've just told you, you are you are a modern, high-performing business athlete and we want to give you all of the products and services that you need. Imagine, you know, Chris Hemsworth made that brilliant app with where he got all of the sub, you know, components of his team. He got access to his nutritionist and his therapist and his physio and his trainer and his strength coach. That's what we're saying if you come to Pillar. You know, we're kind of your ready-made high-performance team and you, we've got lifestyle coaches, psychologists, uh, you know, a plethora of different people, but there is absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to do that in a beautiful, beautiful, luxurious environment. And so now we want to redefine. Oh, for for a very long time, there was a huge overinvestment. I'm not. I'm not talking about any specific brand. I'm talking about the luxury hospitality uh, industry as a whole. There was a huge overinvestment in facility, and they didn't invest and from a wellness perspective and underinvestment in the services that drove experience and so one of the analogies that we used when we were kind of building this business and speaking to potential partners was it's like you guys are building the best kitchens in the world and you're not employing any chefs so how can you expect good quality products to come out you know we're the chefs we're the people who will give you this tangible experience which is highly personalized and and this definitely does not assume that what's right for you and you know i talked earlier about 
giving this 30 year old and this 55 year old the same you know behaviors i would give i would encourage them to do the same things but there would be a very deep dive individual look into what that person's physiological makeup was what their lifestyle was we'll test your resting vo2 your bone density your your i could go into a, a whole you know another podcast on on our on our, on our comprehensive wellness experience wellness uh, assessment and then we use those metrics as well as you know the tapping into any um open open api data that you have any open api data that you have um to be able to make sure that we track and monitor uh, everything about you so we have a very small but targeted uh, member base that, that will be coming in to use our, our facility we're also driving our services into the branded residential units as well as to the hotel guests so really the anchor to becoming a member of, of our space is, 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 is the health and wellbeing services. You know, you get some additional property-wide benefits, but we're seeing a big rise in, in, in memberships for facilities like that. And, and it's, you know, we hope to be the anchor to that. And it's also interesting, you know, as we wrap up here, um, there is a social component to this, right? So much of socializing in England and other places was always kind of around the pub or whatever, but what you are finding is with some of these more wellness-focused places, it is a place where socializing is happening, networking is happening, and kind of connections are made with like-minded people, right? Because when you have people with a growth mindset, there is a kind of natural like magnetism and, and additive space that you're creating, which is cool. A hundred percent. I think, you know, we... We are seeing uh, and envisage it to happen even more so. You'll be doing fantastic deals in our sauna. You'll be doing great deals in our hydrotherapy pool. You'll be you'll be training alongside some of the most interesting and dynamic individuals within that specific space. And we focused on London, and it's we're incredibly proud to have that as our flagship. But we've got a really exciting pipeline of opportunities, and and are looking for more because there are key cities and key locations in the world where where things happen, you know, those things that those things are driven by probably 10 or 12 real key global locations. And I think it's, it's, it's where we want to see, where we want to be, where we want to behave, uh, where we want to um, occupy. And so we, uh, we think that the members club and the redefinition of how the members club model will be in the future it will be less about cigar lounges and whiskey bars and it will be more around interacting with individuals, as you say, who have a like-minded growth mindset. Cool. Well, this was awesome, man. It's such a pleasure to see you and I'm really excited to see like the growth of your projects and and like the stuff that we were jamming on like 10 years ago, really evolving mm -hmm. into something so cool. So it's a pleasure. Again, um, Harry Jameson, uh, his company is called Pillar and it's such a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you, sir. Thanks for being a champion and, and for having me on. And I'd love to join you again soon. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, thank you. Um, this was really, this was really wonderful. Join us for future Skift Ideas podcasts as we speak with the most creative and forward-thinking innovators in travel. As always, go to skift.com to stay up to date on the latest news and insights across the travel industry.